Scott, and welcome to part two of the navigation rules, i.e. rules of the road. We did one through six, rules one through six last week. We'll do seven through 12 this week. I guess I probably should say there's 38 rules altogether, right? Uh, there's 38 rules. There's five annexes at the back of the navigation rules booklet. And then there's a bunch of information after that that is pretty valuable to have. Um, you might want to take a look at it. Got some cool stuff in there. Uh, talking about this, that, and the other. Uh, this week, as I say, we're going to do rules 7 through 12. And I will uh, read you the rule and espouse all of my ponderings on the rules I guess maybe you should say or I should say again I'm no lawyer uh, I'm no sea attorney sea lawyer anything like that I'm just a captain who has to play by the rules and I typically do this about this time every year I think I explained maybe I went into a little bit more detail uh, last week but I do this uh, once a year just to kind of Refamiliarize myself with the rules um, because we've had, you know, what from November until here it is February, middle towards the end of February now, or I've not messed with this at all. So it's time to sort of, it's time to start getting my head back into the game again. Not lucky enough to live down south where you can do it 12 months of the year. So here we go. Rule number seven risk of collision. Ooh, that's a good one. Every vessel should use all available means appropriate to the prevailing circumstances and conditions to determine if risk of collision exists. And if there's any doubt, such a risk shall be deemed to exist. So, you're supposed to use anything you have available to determine whether you're at risk for collision. And if there's any question in your mind whatsoever, then you better just figure that there's going to be a collision. Uh, proper use shall be made of radar equipment if fitted and operational, including long-range scanning to obtain early warning of risk of collision, and radar plotting or equivalent systematic observation of detected objects. So I think we talked about last, that last week a little bit. If you have a radar on board and it is operational, you need to be using it, right? Doesn't matter if you're running off the coast of Nova Scotia in pea soup fog are running down the Chesapeake Bay on a June severe clear day. You got radar on your boat and it works, you better be using it. Uh, assumptions shall not be made on basis of scanty information, especially scanty radar information. So if you do have a radar, uh, you probably should take uh, some time to understand how to operate it, how to interpret it. Uh, probably several courses uh, for your particular type of YouTube's probably a good spot I mean crap there's there's stuff on YouTube for anything you want to do so it ought to be so check that out uh, in determining if risk of collision exists the following considerations shall be made and taken into account uh, such risk shall be deemed to exist if the compass bearing of an approaching vessel does not appreciably change and such risk may sometimes exist even when the appreciable bearing change is evident, particularly when an approaching vessel, a very large vessel, or a tow, 
when the approaching vessel is at close range. So, yeah. Um, oh, there's this computer telling me something again. No, I don't want to update. Uh, okay, so uh, we call it bearing drift in the Navy, or we used to. I don't know what they call it now with all the modern sailors, but um, it was easy to tell on a submarine because obviously we have number one and number two scopes, which would read out uh, magnetic and true bearings, depending on what you wanted. So we would uh, we would take a bearing on a vessel or a buoy or whatever we want to see which way it was moving in relation to the uh, to the boat. You can do the same thing on your vessel, on your power boat, on your sailboat, on your paddleboard, on your kayak, on and on, on your inner tube, on your water skis, you're on your floating on your log, whatever you've done. Um, if you pick like a stationary object on your boat that is between you and the vessel in question and you look at it and you you know in relative to your boat take a take a look and then you give it you know 30 seconds or a minute and then you look at it again if it is to the right of whatever your whatever object you're sighting off of on your boat then it's going to the the vessel's going to go behind you uh, if it's drawing left, it's going to go in front of you. And if you look for, say, over a stanchion, you're standing at the helm, you look over a stanchion, and right in line with that stanchion is a boat, and you look away for a minute, and then you look back, and it's still in the same spot, there's a pretty doggone good chance that there's a risk of collision unless one of you does one thing or another. So that's a good way to do it. Just look at uh, look at the other vessel in relation to something that's stationary on yours. And you should be able to figure that out. Rule 8, action to avoid collision. Hmm, here we go. Again, these are the steering and sailing rules, the steering and sailing section of the rule book. Oh, boy, this is a long one. I don't know if I'm going to go through. I, I'm looking, I'm, I'm reading right out of the book now. Last week I was kind of reading uh, some stuff, some notes I had taken uh, back in the sea school days, so... And they're pretty short and concise where some of these rules and the uh, navigation rules are pretty doggone long. So anyhow, I'll get through this. Any action uh, taken to avoid a collision shall, if the circumstances of the case admit, be positive, made in ample time, and with due regard to the observance of good seamanship. So, well, let me go ahead and read this other part and then we'll talk about it. Any alteration of course or speed to avoid collision shall, if the circumstances of the case admit, be large enough to be readily apparent to another vessel observing visually or by radar. A succession of small alterations of course and speed shall or should be avoided. Um, it, it, that, I just about messed that up, but there's a big difference between should and shall. Okay, so... Um, in, as far as the rule state, so should be is best advice. Shall means you will, right? That's very apparent through a lot of these rules uh, in the book. So what they're saying here is, and and this happens all the time, when you are running down the river and there's another person, say, coming at you bow on bow, um, 
I see this a lot because I'm never going any more than six knots. So, uh, you know, it's easy. It's easier for me to see this. So you got somebody coming down the river, uh, bow on bow. Hopefully you're going to pass them port to port, which is your typical thing to do. When you, when I make a course change to the right, I make a significant course change to the right. So that other person can definitely see that I've changed course. I don't change course like three degrees or five degrees or something like that. I mean, I'll go 15 and 20 degrees. So I'm going to show him a broad angle on the bow, another Navy term. I'm going, there's going to be no doubt in your mind if you're the other boat that I've turned to the right. And you should do the same. Um, just turn in a little bit, you know, here and there, just, just because you're going 25 miles an hour or 20 knots again. Uh, it's good seamanship to make that course change obvious. So keep that in mind. I mean, obviously you're not going to turn one way or another and run into somebody or run across somebody else's bow, which is very, you know, that's a very possible, very huh, easy for me to say. That's very much a possibility when you're on the river, especially like I say on a, on a Saturday morning when everybody's heading down the river or a Sunday night when everybody's coming back. I mean, it just, it may not be safe to do so. Agree. Uh, but if you can, if you got room, uh, if you're going to change course one way or the other, make it obvious to the other person that you've done that. Uh, this Man, there's a whole bunch more here, but that's kind of the gist of the rule right there. So we'll move on. Narrow channels. Rule number nine, narrow channels. A vessel proceeding along the course of a narrow channel or fairway shall keep as near to the outer limit of the channel or fairway which lies to her starboard side and is safe and practical. Uh, and then there goes a bunch of exceptions here. Uh, notwithstanding paragraphs such and such and such and rule, such and, rule 14, a power-driven vessel operating in a narrow channel or fairway on the oh Great Lakes, Western Rivers, or waters specified by the Secretary, and proceeding downbound with the following current. Okay, that's all Western River stuff. Um, you know, when we start doing the Great Loop and and uh, running up and down, you know, the Western Rivers, then I can worry a little bit more about that. But basically, when you, when you're in the channel, just like when you're driving in the United States, it's good to keep to the right hand side of the channel or right hand side of the road, right? Um, the best you can. I mean, it. you know, it's a big river. I, I always say, you know, when I'm driving the tour boat on the C&D Canal, it's 450 feet wide. You know, I'm driving, you know, a boat with, it, it depends on which boat I'm driving. I either got 26 passengers or 49 passengers. I, I, it's a big wide canal. I mean, you don't have to go like, 50 feet off of me and beep the horn and wave at me when you go by <laughs> for one thing you're making a pretty big wake at that point and it's like what well, there's plenty of canal so you can scoot over a little bit now uh, again i'm running down the right hand side of the canal when i'm going westbound i'm running up the right hand side of the canal when i'm going eastbound uh you generally want to if you can do that that's good um enough said I think, anyway. Vessel less than 20... Here we go. We, I think we talked last week. Uh, everything they talk about is meters. Um, 20 meters, 3.28 feet. I believe we just say 65 feet. 
um, basically is, is uh, imperial speak, uh, um, American speak. A vessel of less than 20 meters, 65 feet in length, or a sailing vessel shall not impede the passage of a vessel that can safely navigate only within the narrow channel or fairway. Ta-da! We talked about how um, rule number, what was it, three, constrained by draft. We don't really, um, we don't really uh, follow the constrained by draft rule here with the inland rules. But right here it says... You know, because we do have a, a canal out here, we do have a ship channel out here. Uh, if you're less than 65 feet in length, you shouldn't be out there cutting in front of anybody. I don't care if you're a powerboat, sailboat, what you are. Um, you are not allowed to impede the passage of a vessel that can safely navigate only within the narrow channel or fairway. Huh, there you go. Here's another one. A vessel engaged in fishing shall not impede the passage of any other vessel navigating within a narrow channel or fairway. So I, I know I know you fishing guys like to sit right along, you know, the ledge of the, uh, the edge of the ditch, you know, where the deep water comes up to the shallow water because that's a good place to catch fish. But you don't want to really be fishing in the channel in front of a commercial vessel of any sort. Um, let's see. A vessel shall not cross a narrow channel or fairway if such crossing impedes the passage of a vessel which can safe, safely navigate only within the fairway. The latter vessel shall use the danger signal. Okay. Whistle signals. Yeah. Uh, the danger signal. Uh, we will get to that, but anybody know what the danger signal is on the whistle? Okay. Five short blasts. You hear somebody blast and five short blasts. There you pretty much are upset with something that's going on around them, and it could be you. So pay attention. Uh, let's see. Okay, talking about whistle signals, and we're going to do that. Oh, a vessel nearing a bend or an area of a narrow channel or fairway where other vessels may be instructed uh, by an intervening ob obstruction shall navigate with particular alertness and caution and shall sound the appropriate signal according to rule 34 uh, again whistle signal um, and we will get to that but we're going to make a a prolonged I believe it's prolonged again I'm glad I'm reviewing this stuff because I know I don't yeah it's, it's a prolonged blast um, when you're coming around the corner when you're coming around a blind corner you're also going to hear like if you're down in Baltimore in the port you're going to hear ships doing that when they're uh, prepping to get underway. Um, they're going to give you a prolonged blast on their horn, uh, and if they have their engines in reverse, then you run. Then they're going to blast three short blasts on their. I should I say horn? They actually technically it's called a whistle. Uh, also, every vessel shall, if the circumstances of the case admit, avoid anchoring in a narrow channel. I think that's pretty goes without saying. Oh, so there you go. That was rule number nine. Rule number ten: traffic separation schemes. Hmm, we're not. You're not going to see that in the bay particularly. A traffic separation scheme uh, typically is uh, coming inbound from the ocean, and it's it's sort of like a highway set up out in the ocean. And there's specific ways when you're a tanker and you're coming from. Europe 
and you're heading for the port of Baltimore, when you're entering the Chesapeake Bay, there's a certain lane of traffic that you should be in uh, to enter the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, and exit as well. It goes both ways. Uh, so if you look at the chart, I'm trying to remember the chart number. I think, I, I'm thinking 12241, but I don't think that that's quite right. Anyhow, you look at the chart for the, uh, the bottom of the bay uh, between Chicotig and uh, Cape Henry, uh, and you will see it looks like uh, a traffic light. It looks like a, a traffic circle almost. But that's what a traffic separation scheme is. So let's see. This rule applies to traffic separation schemes as does not relieve any vessel of her obligation under the other rules. A vessel using the traffic separation scheme shall proceed in the appropriate traffic lane in the general direction of the traffic flow for that lane. So far as practical, keep clear of all traffic separation line or the separation zone. Normally join or leave a traffic lane at the termination of the lane, but when joining or leaving from either side, shall do so at a small angle to the general direction of the traffic flow as practical. So, yeah, this is a big long one. Uh, again, we're talking inland rules and something that we're not really exposed to that much here on the bay. I would say, uh, as I referred to last week, if you're if you are running up and down the coast uh, and you're under international rules when you are, uh, you might want to take a look at rule number 10, traffic separation scheme. Look at your chart. Understand exactly what that is and what that means because this thing... It's two pages long in the book, and I don't think we're going to just do that. Okay, rule number 11. Rules in this subpart apply to vessels within sight of one another. So here's another section. This is where another section starts. This section is called Conduct of, oh my goodness, no more threat protections, please, on this computer. Con conduct of vessels in sight of one another. Uh, so rule number 11 starts that and just basically says this is the beginning of a new section. And rule number 12, which will be the final rule we're going to do today, sailing vessels. Huh? Wow. Look at that. So here you go. Rule number 12, sailing vessels. When two sailing vessels are approaching one another so as to involve risk of collision, one of them shall keep out of the way of the other as follows. So... Somebody's got right away. Somebody is the uh, giveaway vessel. Um, so as follows. When each has the wind on a different side, the vessel which has the wind on the port side shall keep out of the way of the other. So if you're on starboard tack, basically you have the right away. If you're on port tack, you're the giveaway vessel. And you need to move one way or the other. When both have wind on the same side... The vessel which is to windward shall keep out of the way of the vessel which is to leeward. So if you're upwind of somebody and you're uh, both on the starboard tack, then you have to give away to the guy that's leeward of you. If a vessel with the wind on the port side sees a vessel to the windward and cannot determine with certainty whether the other vessel has the wind on the port or the starboard side, she shall keep out of the way of the other. So if you're not quite sure what's going on, then assume that you are the giveaway vessel and you need to move. And if you do make a move, make a significant move like we talked a couple, 
couple minutes back. Make it obvious that you're making a move so the other guy doesn't, you know, move the same way that you do. And for the purpose of this rule, the windward side shall be deemed to be the side opposite uh, opposite to that on which the mainsail is carried, or in the case of a square-rigged vessel, the side opposite to that which the largest fore-and-aft sail is carried. So that be basically means, in a nutshell, when the wind is coming over your deck on the starboard side, and your mainsail and your jib is set to port, that's a starboard tack, and generally you have the right of way. In certain circumstances <laughs> gets a little tricky so okay that was uh, six rules for this week uh, like I say there's 38 rules here and there's five annexes uh, I'm trying to do these once a week so it's going to take a couple weeks to get through there and through all of these and I'm going to do part of the annexes too I mean there's some interesting information I mean there's 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 specifics on uh, how big and how bright a light for how big your vessel is should be. Um, there's specifics on the whistle, the ship's horn, uh, how loud uh, the tone that it has to uh, has to be. Uh, there's a whole the, all the demark lines uh, that separate the international and the inland rules uh, across the country in all 50 states, plus Puerto Rico is listed in the back. Um, there's two-way radio VHF procedures listed back there. Oh, there's all kinds of stuff. So it'd be good to touch base on with that too. So um, that'll be it for today. Uh, if you have any comments, please shoot me a comment. Um, I'm at uh, I'm on Facebook at uh, Sundance Sailing Charters, and I do have a website. Uh, come sail with me.net. Uh, you can check it out, leave a comment there. I'm on Instagram, I think at Sundance Chesapeake. Actually, I think that's Twitter. I think uh, Instagram is Captain underscore C A P T underscore Scott. Huh, all this crazy stuff to remember. Uh, but anyhow, yeah, hey, shoot me a line, leave me a comment. Uh, tell me how I'm doing, you know, if, if you could go to iTunes or Amazon, wherever you listen to this podcast, and give me some kind of a star rating. It kind of helps me out, uh, pushes me up the list, so to speak, when people go to search for things like this. And that would be a really cool thing for you to do. Make me feel good, make you guys feel, because we're all in this together, right? Help a brother out, as they say. So anyhow, hey, uh, may the good Lord take a liking to you. And stay safe out there. Uh, stay warm out there. Especially you folks down south in Texas right now. Wow, that's crazy. But uh, anyhow, yeah, stay safe. Uh, be careful with the COVID. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. You know, follow the science. The, don't, well, I don't want to get into all that. Just follow the science. And uh, treat one another good. Be kind to one another. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.